This is the Australian Hunting Podcast, hunting, shooting and fishing radio on the AHP Digital Radio Network. Visit us at australianhuntingpodcast.com.au. Sit back, relax and enjoy. Here's the host of the show, Jason Selms. Welcome back to AHP. Thanks for joining me, the number one hunting, shooting and fishing podcast in Australia. I know a lot of people have been messaging me about getting more fish shows on the show, so that's what I've done. We've got a lot coming up over the next six months uh, to get more invested in fishing. I know I have been uh, a little bit slack on uh, getting fishing people on the show, so that's going to change from now on. I'm trying to get more people from the fishing industry, uh, do some more fishing podcasts on different species of fish to catch and more of an insider's knowledge as to what's happening within the industry. Coming up on the show too, I've got uh, returning is Dan Selby from Sydney Sport Fishing Adventures. Uh, he did a show previously with us on Mulloway Fishing, so we're going to get him on the show uh, to talk about uh, fishing for the elusive big-hitting kingfish. Dan runs a company on uh, taking people out fishing, uh, a fishing guide. Is that what they, I, was, I was about to say a guided hunt, but <laughs> it's a fishing guide. Is that even a thing? <laughs> a fishing guide. I guess that's what you call them in the fishing industry. And uh, we're going to get Dan on the show again to talk about king fishing. But if you want to go out, if you've seen his Facebook page, he catches absolute monsters. Monster Jewfish uh, around the Hawkesbury area. So if you want to go uh, on a guided fish with him, I urge people to do so because you've got a good chance of catching uh, some good sized monsters away with him. I know he hunts in the Sydney Harbour as well for kingfish, so a really, really good person to talk to to find out more about that hard-hitting kingfish. But on today's show, we're talking with TV presenter Al McGlashan, and this was an absolute great show. I really, really enjoyed chatting with Al. We had some differences of opinions, especially surrounding uh, fishing licences, uh, and also another one about shark culling, which we'll, uh, you'll hear more about during the show. And Al also uh, discussed with me some interesting things uh, which I had some interest in before. So I found it interesting that uh, one of the things you'll hear during the show that we discussed was about you know commercial fishing and recreational fishing. Now, you'll hear this throughout the show, but Mulloway fishing, for example, in New South Wales, this is obviously about New South Wales, there's a limit recreational fishers can catch Mulloway. Uh, they have to be over 70 centimetres. Now, I thought, okay, that's fair enough. Now, I'm not against commercial fishing by any stretch of the imagination. Commercial fishing is a valuable part of our you know, export industry and also supplying seafood. If, you've actually, if we want seafood, we do have to expect there's going to be an, a certain element of commercial fishing to supply that market. But what Al actually told me was that uh, commercial fishing for Mulloway, there's only a size limit of 45 centimetres, which I didn't know. So I was actually wondering what impact, you know, wreck fish shows have on fish stocks around Australia, especially if wreck fish shows can only catch, say, Mulloway to 70 centimetres, yet commercial fish shows that are either dragging nets across our coastlines are able to catch them to 45 centimetres. So I, I don't understand the reasoning behind the government's decisions uh, on bag limits to make it 70 centimetres for wreck fish shows and 45 centimetres for commercial fish shows. You'll hear that during the show. I uh, really, really had a good time chatting to our very, very knowledgeable guy, very well known in the industry. Um, I hope I can get him back on again in the future to talk about more about hunting. Um, but it was really, really good conversation, especially about the politics of fishing, what he likes to fish. Uh, what he likes to hunt, taking his boys out hunting, and it was a really, really good show. So I hope you all enjoy it. Uh, without further ado, let's get into my interview, Fishing and Hunting with TV presenter Al McGlashan. G'day everyone, this is Muzz, otherwise known as Aussie Freedom Fighter on YouTube, and uh, I'm, a, I'm a hunter, a fisher, and I love shooting, and you're listening to the Australian Hunting Podcast. All right, Al McGlashan, good afternoon. Thanks for joining me. G'day, mate. How's it going? Fantastic. I want to find out first off some of my guests. I know you're, you're big on the fishing. I know you do like your hunting as well. First off, tell us about yourself. Uh, who is Al McGlashan? Oh, uh, look, uh, what, how would you describe Al McGlashan? Well, I'd say he's a sexy stud muffin, but I'm pretty much the <laughs> only one that seems to beat that. No, look, I've, I've always grown up hunting and fishing, and it's something that I decided at a young age when I was at school, that I never wanted to work a day in my life. That was the plan, you know, that all I wanted to do was go hunting and fishing and going to a private school down in Melbourne. They said, you can't do that. I said, yes, I can. And so ironically, I tried 
working retail, didn't do very good, tried guiding, didn't like it because some of the people I took didn't appreciate going into the bush or going to sea. And I started taking photos because I wanted to show people what it was like. You know, you see a big marlin or you're out in the bush and get a beautiful sunrise or whatever. And, you know, I said, that's it. I'm going to start doing this. And then a couple of magazines started going, oh, well, and then in those days I should add that it was slide film, not like it is now with digital. So I started taking photos and yeah, started writing for the magazines and then it built up and, you know, I did all the live game when, in the old days when Sporting Shooter went live game, I used to shoot all their live game shots and all the magazines and books and obviously now TV series and, yeah, you could say I'm living the dream, but you still work your ass off, to put it bluntly. Now, tell us when you were a bit younger, I mean, you got into fishing. Was your parents into fishing? Got any brothers or sisters into fishing or hunting or anything like that? Yeah, well, my old man was mad keen, absolutely mad keen. So every weekend it would be fishing, hunting, skiing, ball driving, you know, anything outdoors, absolutely mad on it. So it was. I think it's a natural that you – both my brother and I, my brother went in, became a fisheries officer for a while and now does game management down in Victoria, all the samba hunting and stuff. And yeah, it's still this day, catch up and go hunting on a regular basis. It's just, I think it's something, you, you know, fishing and hunting are very much, it's not a sport you learn, it's something that you almost inherit it. So it's a family sport, something that if your family, you know, your family done, it's almost, I suppose, traditional almost. Do you guys do a lot of fishing growing up together? Yeah, yeah, absolutely. So we grew up down on Port Phillip Bay there and, you know, in the early days, catching a snapper was a tough gig. You caught flathead. You know, now these days it's full of snapper. Nothing wrong with flathead. Yeah, yeah, well, I reckon they're better eating if you ask me. But, you know, you used to chase those snapper and, you know, you catch one in a week. Now you go out and if you don't catch 10 in the morning, you're complaining it's, you know, the fishing slow. So, yeah, look, <laughs> but those old flatty tails, I still have great memories of sitting there on the porch eating beer-battered flatty tails you'd caught that morning. And I think that almost entrenched from that day onwards, you know, to be to do the outdoors, always, you know, spending time, any time I could to be outdoors. You said when you were younger you, you didn't want to work a day in your life. So how did that bring you to, I guess, something you love in the fishing industry? How did you get into that? Well, that's the key, you know, because you, if you do what you love, it's not work. You know, like I had friends that went and they were doctors and lawyers and all this. They hate their job and they want to do it. And you go, well, it's all driven by passion because you love it. So you're not counting down the hours and, you know, constantly that way. Instead, you're just out doing what you love. So, in effect, you never work a day in life, but you have the best job on earth, so to speak. <laughs> Do you ever get sick of doing any fishing or anything like that? No, never. Every day off. So we had last year, I was in Papua New Guinea fishing, you know, untouched rivers. Then I... Went, flew back, I was home for a day, then I flew to Western Australia, then I flew back and I was home for four days and three of those days I went fishing and then I hopped on another plane to go, I think it was to US or something, and fishing over there. So yeah, every spare day, fishing, I think if I'm outdoors, I'm happy. Would you like to advertise on one of the most tech-savvy mediums on the internet? Then why don't you advertise with us on the Australian Hunting Podcast? If you have a product or business that you would like to promote, then we would love to hear from you. Become one of our partner advertisers by calling Jason on 0425 881 967 or email australianhuntingpodcast at gmail.com. How long do you go fishing for? I mean, I'm not don't want to pry into your private life, obviously, but I'm not sure if you're married. But if you, if you are, how does the how does the your your missus and your wife how does she enjoy you going out all the time or travelling here and there to get you know whether it's for TV or whether it be for you know maybe a a fishing exhibition or something like that? How does she how does she enjoy it? How, and how often do you do that uh, throughout the year? Well, you know that's interesting. So we probably fish and hunt probably 200 days a year. And now I've got two boys married with a missus now we fight less when i'm out of service she can't tell me off so i'm out of service it works very well for our relationship so yeah it's great at that end until i come back then i get a double dosage so she'll probably kill me for saying that but yeah i was gonna say how old are your boys are they are they into it as well they come out with that or absolutely obsessive so cooper who at nine years of age caught black blue and striped marlin so he effectively got a grand slam you know at nine years of age, making him, I think at the time, or I think he still is the youngest person in Australia. And, and the other day, so the older boy, Tom, we, I took them up deer hunting and they both shot their first fellow deer and then I had to gut them out 
and carry them out, and then they had to process them. And in fact, last night we're having having venison chops from the deer that they they'd earned. So I'm very very big on on the kids understanding where their food comes from. That's why I suppose because I've always done it. You know, we I caught a big swordfish earlier this year, and he cop a bit of flack on social media. You know, I can't believe you killed that big fish, and you know. It, that's irresponsible. Now, the whole fish was eaten, every inch of it, to the point that when we're cutting it up, the, all the people hovering around the, the cleaning tables are trying to get a bit. I was trying to stab them with the knife to keep them away from it, you know, poking them, getting them back from it. And we've almost eaten, and that's 220 kilo fish. It's almost gone in under five months. Five months we've eaten the whole lot. Wow. So, and you said so your, yeah. your son, what, one's nine? How old's the other one? Uh, so... Tom, well, Cooper's now 10. He's just 10, yep. turned 10. And Tom's 13. And, yeah, and they both love it. Now, Tom gets sick going to sea, so he's not quite as keen for all of the hardcore offshore big game stuff, but loves the estuaries and inshore. And and they both are mad keen on hunting. But for me, the whole thing with hunting is showing them how to understand. And for me, it's a respect, you know. If you shoot something, you utilise it. So I'm not, I'm not a big... I'm not a trophy hunter or anything like that. I've got a few heads on the wall. But when I've cooked, when I've taken those deer, the first thing I've taken out is the meat. So with the kids, it's all about, for me, it's, you know, about harvesting your own meat. So we eat fish and venison and we get all our own. So we literally buy no meat or anything at all, apart from the odd chicken. So that's about where it stops. I noticed you talked about that. That's a very interesting aspect. I didn't have it on the questions, but what do you think about catch and release it's interesting because i do see a lot of that on social media and let's say somebody you know as you said the the bigger fish sharks for an example would be a very interesting thing but even the smaller fish someone where they're taking their you know bag limit for an example or less than their bag limit and you see a lot of fish shows you know shaming other fish shows for i guess taking fish out of the water now I, an interesting uh, topic came up with probably about two years ago with a fellow that i know and we're talking about catch and release fishing now he's it was very opposed to, and it's quite interesting, to catch and release fishing because he says, well, if I, I go fishing, I'm fishing for a certain reason, whether it would be to eat. So he takes out three fish. He goes, I stop fishing. I don't sit there, drag a fish in by the, by the mouth with a big hook just to take a photo with it and release it. He said he found it quite morbid. So I'd like to get your thoughts on that whole situation. Yeah, and look, that's an interesting one. And the, the one thing is that bag limits, and when you look at, conservation and, and fishing fishing you've got to give the fish or anything a value for starters so fishing is unreal now the first thing is everyone says it hurts the fish or the greenies and the ultra greens that sit in their suburban houses using up all of the world's resources and never go outdoors it doesn't hurt fish in the mouth because they eat spiky things and sharp things because they don't have a pair of hands to grab it so when they say it's morbid and hurts it doesn't hurt. What it does do, is, and, and with fish particularly, it's like a dog. If it's on a lead, it will always pull against you. They've never in their lives been pulled in a certain direction or been, you know, dictated to, I suppose. That does that does affect them. Now, if they're gut hooked, that can hurt fish. But for me, catch and release is a massive part of it. Now, I kill a lot of fish to eat, but I still kill less than I think we worked out the other day, less than 7% of the fish I catch. So, but catch and release is a really good way of utilising a resource and minimising your impact at the same time because you don't do it. Now, what's really, just to sort of complicate areas, some fish don't survive well. Kingfish, for example, are awesome. You can put them on the deck, you can unhook them, they'll, they'll literally survive through any. If you did, say, dewfish, for example, they take a lot more care and a lot more susceptible to dying. So you need to understand different fish. But that's the, the beauty of, you know, like marlin fishing and, you know, all this, this new style. There's fish there that don't taste good. They're great to catch. You can let them go and the survival's great. And we're learning which species that we really should make an effort to let go because we're pushing here in Sydney to stop killing big kingfish. So if you don't kill the kings over a metre, they survive through anything. We can build a whole new fishery there of bigger fish. Now, the key behind that was the fact that when we did satellite tagging, I thought all the big kings were fine. Every big – acoustic tagging, I should say. All the big fish that we caught, everyone was recaptured, every single one. And so it highlighted, A, that they survive, but, B, the importance of, 
you know, looking after it and, and, and the tag and release is really, really critical to conservation down the track. How do you find the fishing industry faring at the moment? I mean, I guess business-wise, fishing opportunities, I mean, all the different quote-unquote personalities in the industry, you might say, how's it faring? Yeah, look, it's it's faring all right. I think there's a distinct lack of effort with um, from a lot of celebrities by putting their, their neck out and going, we need to sort, look after fishing and protect it. Uh, I'm very big on anti-lockouts and anything like that. My attitude is if you look after it, you'll be able to protect it if you understand it. So if you if you lock them out, there's no appreciation. If there's no appreciation, you can't look after it. So we've had, obviously, New South Wales and, you know, South Australia and Western Australia have had massive issues over the years with marine parks, which instead of educating people to understand how to utilise them and, and, and you know, minimise their impact, they just lock them out. And, of course, there's no, no money to manage them. So, but I think, the thing is that I've found a lot of guys haven't, a lot of the, the fisheries will whinge about it and complain. And like you're saying before, a lot of anglers will complain about other anglers, but won't actually get off their ass and do something when together, there's 5 million of us in this country. We should be, we should be the strongest, you know, most vocal group there is. So the infighting probably needs to be fixed up a bit, I think. Looking for outdoor equipment for your next adventure? At Aussie Outdoor Gear, you can find cooking equipment, camo clothing for kids, backpacks, camo accessories and much more. We cater for your hunting, fishing, camping, hiking and other outdoor pursuits with our unique product range. AussieOutdoorGear.com.au Quality gear at affordable prices. Are you looking to buy a new or used firearm? Do you want to sell that safe queen to fund your next purchase? Then go to OzGunSales.com. We have over 200 registered firearms dealers, Australia-wide, and thousands of shooters using the site daily. There are over 2,500 firearms listed, so you're certain to find exactly what you're looking for. We have over 50 years of firearms industry experience, including 8 years online. So why wouldn't you advertise with us? The one and only genuine original OzGuns. Talking about that, we'll go down a bit further because this some of the stuff you've just mentioned goes into my later questions, but we might as well talk about it now because I think it's appropriate. Now, you're talking about marine parks. Now, I know, especially around Sydney, I think it was because he's in my local area. You know where I live. Um, uh, John Robertson was the, or then back then, the leader of the, the, the opposition. Now, remember they were trying to, he said if, you, if he got into government, he was going to lock us out of, certain parts of Sydney, create marine parks in Sydney. Now, I'm not as up on fishing as I am on the hunting, but I still, you know, make time to look and find out what's going on. Now, what do you, obviously you said you disagree with lockouts, but in talking about governments, I mean, do any of these two major parties, so Liberal, Labor, Nationals, they really care about getting the fishers vote, especially when we just had the leader of the state opposition, John Robertson, several years ago, saying he's going to lock fishers out of, you know, fishing in, in parts, in parts, or if not all of Sydney Harbour. Yeah, and you know what's really interesting? So all, as a basic rule, all all politicians are about votes. Now, Labor thought that the Green vote was bigger than the than the vast majority, because the vast majority of Australians are quiet. That's the problem, because we're all working, we're doing stuff. Your little minority groups that yell and shout that are on, you know, welfare or whatever they're doing, or that Pew Foundation from the US is supporting them and stuff like that, they did that and they all got shunted straight out of, you know, out of it from they haven't had a chance of getting in since, which showed that at the end of the day, the average bloke wants to go fishing. Fishing isn't, this is the problem that in this country, it doesn't happen anywhere else, fishing's not bad. We've got bag limits, we've got size limits, we've got all these these measures in place that help manage the fish and they've been doing really, really well. So why do we need lockouts and why do we need marine parks to protect whales? What the hell has that got to do with it? Whales are already fully protected. So what they tried was that people, you know, want to look after, want to, you know, minimise their impact. And, and I suppose to a certain degree in cities feel better. But the people that are saying that you can't go there, never go there. That's the part that I find really frustrating. Now, they just recently released the Commonwealth Marine Parks, which the Libs and Nats have reduced back down dramatically because they identified fishing wasn't a problem. 
Tony Burke and his henchmen want to close up everything and he keeps claiming that it'll be like a marine park that, you know, uh, that the Americans put in. But you can fish in the American marine parks. It's only Australia where we have this bizarre thing that you lock out the recreationals that are the biggest user group. So, exactly. yeah, it needs to be sorted. And it's same with hunting as well. In Victoria, you can go hunting in national parks. There's 50,000 of them down there with almost no impact. And yet in New South Wales, we're still trying to get it sorted. And Queensland should be doing it as well. We should have – and it's a, it, you don't just let anyone in. It's a certain level. It's, it's a privilege, not a right to do, that we should be managing it and we could be utilising a large portion of our parks. But in – well, they seem to have this idea that you just lock it up and if you lo- lock it up and throw away the key, it'll look after itself. And that's just so stupid, it's ridiculous. And that does get actually segues into my next question as well. Now, I have a lot of people that agree with me on this one and some people that you know, like to have a great discussion on it. Now, it's licensing fees. Now, I guess, do you think it's good and bad and why? Because when I went fishing, you know, my dad years ago, I'm 36 years old, as we had a chat on the phone previously a couple of days ago. And, you know, fishing was in a good way. You know, you could fish for a feed. Sometimes we fished a couple of times a year. We'd go to Batemans Bay on holidays. Most of the time we spent uh, time in Port Macquarie. Now, fishing was in a good way. Now, the government then instituted this license fee. And people say, oh, well, it goes to this and it's fantastic. And it went to a disabled wharf somewhere for one person to use, you know, per year. I just, I don't understand why the government has sold me uh, the right to fishing back to me. In other words, they're saying, we own the water, you don't own the water, we're going to charge you a fee to use the water. So what about the people that aren't like, say, me and you, that can't really afford, you know, good types of food, they're on a minimum income, or even mum and dad and son that want to go out, go fishing once or twice a year. I mean, I think the line, I caught the fishing tax, but anyway, uh, they've sold my right back to me. Uh, what do you think on the on the fishing license? I mean, because I think we own the water. I think we should have a right to get you know, sustenance from the water. I mean, the government's own figures, I think, was it about a year and a half ago came out, less than 1% of people that go fishing actually catch their bag limit. So when we already had bag limits in the first place. So, I mean, how does this, how does some license tax benefit me or the mum and dad that want to go once or twice a year, throw a fishing pole in the back of the car, let's go for a fish. No, they've got to pay some, some fee. I think it's ridiculous. Why? Tell me what your thoughts are on the matter, if you could. Well, I'm in two minds. One is it it should give us a right to ownership that we pay a fee. Now, most of that money, New South Wales fisheries are pretty good at putting that money back into the resource. So my view is everyone should pay. Now, this fishermen pay, but diving communities don't pay. All these others don't pay. And the argument they have is they're non-extractive. So what if I do catch and release? I'm not extracting anything, so I shouldn't have to pay. I think that but the money needs to go back in to enhancing the resource. So one of the big things I'm pushing for is that going forward, none of this sustainable crap, because sustainable means that you take the maximum amount without overdoing it. So, you know, the the, the minimum amount to keep that species running is left in the water. Well, I don't want that. I want to make, I want to enhance the fishery so it's better for the next generation. So the, and at the end of the day, it's 25 bucks, I think it is a year or something like that. It's not a major amount, and kids that up to 18 don't have to do it, which is a serious issue with our kids playing computers because they're getting locked out of everything rather than going fishing is a, is a massive issue for us. So I think I'm happy for people to pay for a licence, and, it, you know, it's not over the top, but the money has to go back into fishing. So at the moment it, it does as a, as, a, as a whole. Fisheries have probably got a few little glitches and hitches in there and stuff like that. You know, stocking programs <laughs> think, and stuff like so. that. Yeah, and so, but as a whole, I think it's a good thing. And do you know what? When these greenies come and say you can't do that, you go, well, I pay for that, right? You don't. So you don't have a say. And this is one thing that I think should be looked at is if they don't pay or they don't have a say because we're paying to make the fishery better and to utilise it, and then these muppets come along and say you shouldn't do that. And, you know, the worst part, most of these Muppets that are complaining about it are from overseas. you got Pew Foundation and all these other groups. They're not even they're not even from here, and they're telling us what to do. It's bloody ridiculous. 
and I bet you they don't have a license. <laughs> <laughs> it was it was off. I noticed this too, and this is what you were talking about the money and where the money goes. I mean, I know it goes. Yeah, some parts of it probably do. Is there an element of some parts that don't? I know they built, and this is only here, so you could, you would know this a lot more than me. But they built the was the artificial reef off Sydney, and then you get scuba divers, you know, on the reef where fishermen paid for it, yet we can't use it because they're scuba diving on the man-made reef. Well, you didn't, they didn't pay for it. You know, why, yeah. why are the you fish shows getting locked out of that when some scuba diver, no, no disrespect to the scuba divers, good on them, but, you know, we can't even use the resource we're paying for because they're using it without even paying for it. This is, this is my whole point about people that are, are giving, you know, what are they using their money for? I've also heard, and again, you probably know more about this than me, and you might be able to, you know, enlighten us um, and my listeners on this particular issue, where you can put grants in. Uh, to get money, some of, the, some of the fishing money to, you know, quote unquote, perform science. That's science, inevitably. Some from some of these people, uh, greenie outfits posing as scientists to say to either lock us out of future, you know, fishing opportunities or to increase bag limits. I mean, again, the government's own figures say less than one percent of fishermen will ever fit, will ever, will ever get their full bag limit. I mean, I fish in a place you probably know it quite well, Malakuta, just down in Victoria. Yep. Brim Capital, I don't catch anywhere near as many fish in cities I do in Malakuta. And even what I call fishing mecca of Malakuta, I still can't even catch my limit in a place that actually has some fantastic fishing opportunities. So how do we be sure the money's not going to these green outfits that are inevitably trying to lock me out of where I can fish and to increase my bag limits or increase... Uh, measurements of fish. I mean, Jewfish, I think, went from, didn't it go from 50 to 70, if I'm correct? I mean, we saw in Victoria. Flathead, 45. Oh, yeah, 45, was 45 it? Yeah, we saw we saw Flathead yeah. in Malacuta as well go from, um, was, it, was it to up to 70 centimetres? You can't take anything at all now over 70 centimetres, which is fine. I mean, that's okay. That's the ruling they've put in place. But what are your thoughts on that? Well, look, it's an interesting one. Firstly, it is now, so all the funding goes through the board, which is it's run by fishermen. So all the fishos are part of the, the board. So I used to be on it when it was AFTA. Uh, sorry, um, Af, uh, what do they call it? ACORF. And now it's a new advisory council. So you can't get, and we did have greenies trying to get through, but they don't get, what they are doing is they're taking the science that we're putting together and taking parts out of it to turn it to the, the problem you get with science is that any research if you take certain parts out, you can make a story to suit what you want, your argument. If you take out the other bits, well, you know, you could you can mould it to suit. And that's what's been happening. Now, we had a case where they used tagging, the tagging results uh, for game fish, and they said, look at this, no one's using the Great Barrier Reef apart from Cairns. It's the only place they tag the black marlin. And they said that no one else tags fish. So, therefore, no one's fishing anywhere else in the – in, in the Great Barrier Reef. Now, fisheries didn't pull their finger out and say that's absolute rubbish because we don't tag and release GTs, we don't tag and release mackerel, we just release them, and they need to grow, well, to put it bluntly, set balls and step up to the plate for us. But as a whole, the money is generally going, it's, it goes through quite a stringent system now that we manage. And that's what I like about the fact that we pay for it, that we have serious control over where that money goes and what happens with it. Um, look, it's not perfect, but I think it's 90% in the right direction. Um, as for the bag limits and stuff you're saying about Jewies, now we've got a massive issue with Jewfish, for example. So with Jewies, they're getting smashed. Now the recreational catch is bigger than the commercial catch in New South Wales. So we're actually larger, but we take bigger fish. But can you believe that the commercials are allowed to take undersized fish? So they don't have to take 70 centimetres. They can take them 45 and above, which is designed as bycatch, which in the estuary, in the estuary netting, which they then exploited, which was meant to be a 10 fish limit so that you don't have, you know, you don't waste, waste the bycatch. Well, apparently they were putting up to 200 fish a day through the market per person so because they're worth money. So they deliberately exploited it. Now. This should be a no-brainer. 70 centimetres for everyone. They, they spawn at about 65, 68. They're mature. So it doesn't make any sense to kill any of them under 70 centimetres. And yet that's what we're doing, you know, or what, that, what they're doing. And yet fisheries still haven't pulled their finger out and sorted it. We've been going to meetings, after meetings, where we all have a discussion about it. 
It's no-brainer. Let's just fix that and move on to the next one. And this is where it's all about – it's a, it's conservation is science. There's no emotion in it. And what we've started to do is, you know, slot limits work, work really well, so you don't take the really small flatties. You let the bigger ones go because the big flathead generally are very good at, at survival. They're bigger egg spawners. They don't taste as good, stuff like that. So there's all those sort of things. Now, what you're saying before with bag limits, we actually cut the bag limits a while ago because do you know what some of our bag limits and size limits are based on? The dinner plate, cooking on a plate. That's how old they are. So that a snapper fits at 28 centimetres or 30 centimetres, whatever it is at the moment, fits on a plate. That's what it was. And we had where it was interesting, we had where it was brim and stuff like that with 20 fish per person. You could take 20 blackfish, 20 tailor, and we halved them all which wasn't based on science. It's purely on public perception. And I had a guy send me an email saying, oh, I can't believe you do that. You know, it's my right to take that many fish. And I went, radio, you go fishing with your wife and two kids? He goes, yep. And I said, so you're taking 80 brim a day. And he goes, uh, and I said, and then when you've got that, you're going to go and catch 80 blackfish a day. And he goes, uh, I said, then you go and go and catch 80 Taylor. I said, how big's your boat? That's a commercial quantity. I want to go fish. fishing with him then if he's catching that much. I want to know his secret. Yeah. <laughs> well, that's what I reckon. I was trying to find out. And then, and then after that, it was funny, Jake. He goes, oh, oh. I said, would you need that much fish? And he goes, well, no. And I said, this is the thing. What we want to do, we want to make it all quality fisheries so that you, say you and I go fishing down at Malacuta and we catch six really nice brim. So we process them, look after them, take them home and eat them so they taste delicious. Now, if we had 80 brim, well, we haven't got the capacity to look after them on board, so they're going to be in the sun and all these other things that take into account. Now, when I caught that big swordfish down in Victoria, which was ironically just out from Malacuta there in Bass Canyon, we came straight in because we've got now half a day's processing of 200 and something kilos of fish. So there's all that side of it that, you know, so none of it was wasted, but we looked after it all. And that's that's where we, you know, it plays a role in it. So the funny thing is I haven't caught a bag limit for probably, oh, in New South Wales, probably ever, because, say, for kingfish, five kings per person is absurd. I don't need five kingfish. So I'll go and take two. I think the most I've probably ever taken is three. And then I'll process them down perfectly so they're really good eating. But I don't need to take that much. I can't fit it all in my freezer. So, And that's that's part of it. It's a good one. You talk about need. Does, does, is need subjective to the individual? Or let's say someone someone might come to you and say, well, you know, I've, you know, I'm very... You know, I've, I've got a little tinny. I'm trying to get, to get out in the harbour, for an example, or, you know, in the outskirts of the harbour. He wants to try and catch kingfish. I mean, he might need to feed a, 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 a family crew of, of, of five or six, seven people. So how do we justify what your need is or my need is compared to what someone else's need is? Well, that, so that's quite interesting. So a kingfish, and this is where it comes to size. So if you catch 80-centimetre kings, you know, I think the, the limit's the 70 centimetres, but 80 centimetres we normally sort of the smaller ones we'd keep. So if you're feeding people, now an 80-centimetre king's going to feed six or seven people. So then when you double that, that's, you know, 12, 15 people. Then you triple that, and then you start seeing how much it is if you're not wasting any fish. Mm. Now, we know in the past that we used to waste a lot of fish because we didn't understand how to clean them and process them. So it, it's got to be across the board, and that's something we understand. But we can't have someone that just because they live in the bush out west come to the east, to come to the coast and slaughter the living daylights out of them because they've only got their two days and then go back out to the bush. And this is something that, you know, the Northern Territory had a massive issue with the guys coming up, catching all the barra because they were on holidays and it's their right, and then leaving. So now they've stopped it. So now you have possession limits. So now we can't keep that much fish anyway because they stop it. The you know, possession list limits, which I think is, I'm not sure what it is for New South Wales now, so they've got that to stop that style, which too was people selling it on and a bit of black marketing and all these sort of, you know, other things. Because you, you start looking at the size of freezers, you need a serious freezer when you start catching that amount of fish. And like I've got three freezers running, one for bait, one for venison and one for my fish. And, you know, it's even with that massive sortie, 
you still, you know, I'm struggling to put it all in. And it's all Paravac and, and I've eaten it all. Well, that was my excuse oh, for eating it. It's a good position. It's a good position to be in. <laughs> better than having right. the, better than having them empty. Yeah, absolutely. And don't worry, even for us, they get empty now and again. Don't worry, they they shrink out. You know, no one has perfect days. I know that a lot of fishing shows make it out that they drive out and catch these big fish every time, but it doesn't happen like that in reality for anyone. We have good days and we have bad days. That's just how it works. You were talking about, and we'll talk about that about commercial fishing. Now, it's an interesting topic that you bring up. Now, I know the general fishing community not not a big fans of commercial fishing, but obviously it's a supply and demand issue now. You were talking about the Jewfish, and it's probably a prime example where, uh, what was it, you can't, it's over 70 centimetres. Now, obviously, the commercial fishers, as you said, can take less than that. So if they could take less than that, and obviously they get a bycatch of Jewfish, I mean, doesn't that, and I'm not making a case for it by any stretch of the imagination, but doesn't that make, like, the, the bag limits and size limits for recreational fishers just, I mean, just redundant? Surely we could concede that because... If they can catch 45 and their bycatch could be, as you said, what, 100, 200, I don't know, 1,000 fish. I don't know what commercial fishermen do, but doesn't it make it redundant? I mean, that's, you know, recreational fishers have that big of a uh, effect on fish stock numbers? Well, the problem is that it's in weight. So, that the, you know, that we take, we take a lot of dewfish, there's no doubt about it. But at the end of the day... There's no logic with taking fish before they're spawning. It's basic conservation measures that we need to look at. And what we've done is we're now implementing how to release jewfish because I, I like them. I don't think they're actually insane to it. I think they're quite a nice fish. We're learning how to let them go. And this is that that natural evolution that anglers, like hunters, are the true essence in most cases of conservation because they want lots of fish. They want lots of deer running around. They want lots of, you know, animals there so or fish and we're the ones that normally drive it what the frustrating part is that and the problem for new south wales is new south wales the commercial fishers haven't been looked after very well so they're very anti-government and very you know anti-everyone and you've got an element in there that are about if i don't get it someone else will get it so i'm going to take everything and what we need to do is train it so that when the kings are on you and I have a quota as a recreational five fish per person. Now, it was the recreationals that pushed to stop those moronic uh, floating fish traps that destroyed them oh, over a decade ago. Yet, commercially, there is no quota whatsoever. They can take as many as they want, so long as their size. Now, to me, that is illogical because what happens is you get with kingfish, they go through a stage where they snap their heads off. So you and I'll go out. We'll have a great day. We'll probably catch five or six fish. We're buggered. We're worn out. We go home. It's a great day. Have a couple of fish to eat. The commercial bloke, if he keeps catching them, he'll get more. But what happens is they put them on the market floor and the, because every other commercial fisher's got them because they generally all buy it on the same time, the market just drops, the arse drops out of the market. So what we're trying to do is make them more valuable in, you know, catch less but catch better fish so you get a better return for your effort. So long lining is a classic example. Long lining, you know, is about catching individual big fish, which you get a higher return for, as opposed to catching lots of little fish. Yeah, I guess the it was more the point I was trying to make was just you know they're, they're catching, you know, a bycatch of smaller fish, which seems to be okay. Yet you know these you know, recreational fishers have you know these bag limits, which I guess you know I mean obviously with commercial fishing that's you know bycatch has to be you know if they're netting it has to be i guess part of their business model but you know it just goes to show that you know we can't do it and not not that we should be doing i'm not making the case that we should be doing it but what i'm making the case for is uh, the commercial fishers are out there which is part of the business but then all the restrictions come on the recreational fishermen as if recreational fishermen are probably going to you know fish you know the the waters out which i think is never going to happen i mean fishing Absolutely, yeah. I mean, no, and, and I think also, too, in, in going in regards to the, the fishing licence, I mean, even with the licence, it was supposed to improve fishing opportunities in some parts that it have because, they, you know, as you know, they bought out what, a lot of commercial fishermen. Again, correct me if I'm wrong, up this, around the Hawkesby area, they, they bought the commercial fishers out. I mean, whilst I think, yes, it has improved, but, I mean, how long has rec, uh, rec fishing licence been in now? About, what, over 10 years now, maybe longer? And 
I'm not seeing the, the, a huge amount of benefits. I mean, again, government's own figures, 1% catching a bag limit. I mean, how long before we're going to reap these benefits of the, these particular governments, such as bag limits, increased fish sizes, fishing licenses? The benefits aren't there, what they're saying they were supposed to be. Yeah, look, it's interesting. Now, as far as fish are concerned, it's completely unfair to recreational that, that one party, and it, don't get me wrong, it's not all commercials, it's one small group, and it's not bycatch. This is the issue. They're deliberately targeting them because they're making money off it. And unfortunately, because the idea was that we wanted as bycatch so that there was less wastage, which is good in a perfect world. But the reality is there will be an element there in the commercial sector that will do the wrong thing. Now, if you look at – so that's happened in all fisheries. Now, in Commonwealth fisheries like longliners, a couple of them did the wrong thing. So you know what? They all have to have cameras on board. Every boat. Can't do without to stop that sort of stuff. So a couple doing the wrong thing. And like, let's face it, there's a few dodgy wrecks out there as well. Don't get me wrong. But we're being treated wrongly. Now, we've seen huge benefits with kingfish because they've improved dramatically, but I still think there's a long way to go. Like, for example, fishing at Sydney Harbour. So I've been in New South Wales since 2000. Since they stopped the commercial netting up the river here, you know, commercial fishing, which was mainly the prawns, the fishing has literally gone through the roof. And because, you know, putting in probably 50 to 100 days a year, I've seen it change to the point where it is staggering, you know. And think, bear in mind, there's something like 600 and something species recorded in Sydney Harbour, whilst the whole of Northern Europe is 200 species. So, and this is right on our doorsteps. Now, there's a couple of things. One is, the main thing is, because they stopped the prawn trawling, the food sources was there. It's like if the takeaway shops are open, people will go. If they're shut, no one goes there. It's that simple. So there's more food there, so there's going to be a better system. And on top of that, the wrecks are really making an effort to release fish, still keeping fish as well, but release more fish so there's a better balance. So some fish are thriving with it, like brim are going through the roof. You know, it's impossible not to. Flathead love it, you know, and the kingfish are getting better and better. But like anything, we can keep, we can never make it perfect. We can only improve. And we have to stop worrying about minorities and look about the majority and about what we need to do that will make it better for everyone. Because you know what? If everyone's a little bit un- unhappy, it's usually better. So if the little groups are unhappy a bit, you know what? Overall, it's better for everyone. Yeah, I didn't want people to think I'm de- definitely not at all even remotely targeting, you know, the commercial fishermen. Obviously, there's an industry and, you know, people like eating seafood. I like eating seafood. And obviously, that's a part, that's a part of, you know, being able to eat seafood. I just thought, you know, the, the commercial fishermen sometimes get this extra, uh, you know, leniency when, you know, and law-abiding uh, uh, fish shows. And this probably goes the same thing with firearms owners as well and, and hunters as well seem to always get the, the raw end of the stick, yet there seems to be, you know, they get the leniency. The commercial fishermen get the leniency. But anyway, that's fine. But Yeah, um, no, no, and it is. And to, to clarify there, commercial fishers, we need them to supply local fish. There is no doubt about that. But there's a couple of bad eggs that are doing the wrong thing. And like with the wrecks, you need to clean up those and make sure it's overall. And most of them are doing the right thing. But those that aren't are just using the loophole, which have the old attitude that, if I don't get it, someone else will. So they're slaughtering it with that, and that's that's what we just need to to clear to clean out across the thing. And that's the same as hunting. You know, we've got a few bad eggs that, that do stupid things, and the rest of us, you know, all get tarred with the same brush. Controversial one. You're going to love this one. Tell me about you said as in you know commercial fishermen. You know, uh, obviously the government. You know, they're saying if if you're getting correct me if I'm wrong. With our money bought out, some of these, or some or all, if not some of the commercial fishermen, obviously an increase in you know food. So prawns, example, you know bait fish, sharks. We just saw those fellas just the other day. I think it was under the Gladesville Bridge caught was a mako, if I'm correct. What do you think about sharks? Uh, the increase in sharks moving into where these areas obviously increased bait fish and the culling of sharks. Give us your thoughts on that one. So I reckon we should have we should be leaving the, the sharks alone. I'm against killing big sharks because I think they're part of a food chain. Because my simple rule is if you kill it, you eat it. So if they're not eating it, they shouldn't be killing it. So if they're hanging up for glory like a trophy, I'm dead against that. If you want to eat like a 400-kilo tiger shark, be my guest. I probably wouldn't recommend it. But I, I think there's a couple of things. One is our fisheries or some fisheries have got better, so there's no doubt. We're protecting great white sharks as we have done for 20 years. 
with strict, almost absurd rules, the numbers have gone up and they don't need to be in protected. A lot of anymore. people say they're rare. I mean, I don't think. I mean, I've you, you've probably been overseas. I mean, I've I flew to just the United States one time. The, the just the abundance of of being over the water, you know, like in thousands and thousands and thousands of kilometres of water. And they saying one or a couple of dead sharks is going to be the end of the world. But my point is, I have a lot of discussions with hunters about, you know, the cull. Now, I agree, you know, drum lining off 60 kilometres offshore, I don't think that serves any purpose. But I believe inshore... You know, at least 100 metres from the, you know, and we take risks going into the water. I accept that, and that's part of what happens. So I don't, I know there are risks in everything we do in life. But, you know, I'm hoping if, you know, you've got two sons, I don't have any kids, obviously, but if someone else does, they've got a daughter, son, they're in the water, and a shark comes within 100 metres of you know, swimmers. I'm hoping people would, and it's just my opinion, people would go out there, get the bolt gun, bang it in the head, and drag it offshore, and everyone forgets about it. That's my opinion, because we cull. Many different species. So, you know, as you know, down in the ACT, kangaroos, we cull them because they're a danger. Uh, you know, we, we could say, people go, well, you go into the water, you're accepting the responsibility. But in saying that too, wouldn't we then say, well, you know, the, that means the kangaroos own the land, so we should leave them alone as well. What about up in the Port Macquarie region where we have, you know, deer running wild down in the Wollongong area, Rooza deer just running wild, causing car collisions. We cull deer. Why can't we cull sharks? I, I, don't, I don't see why people get so finicky about an animal that is not endangered, whether it's a great white or other species. And correct me if I'm wrong, I don't know any species that are on the endangered list. We've got a lot of bull sharks, makos, reef sharks. I, I mean, I don't know about, as much about whites as, as obviously you would, but why do people get so upset about a shark like that doesn't really you know bother me so much if one's close to shore they go and cull it drag it offshore I don't, I don't really care to be honest i mean it's not a big issue to me yeah look it is it's it becomes you know, there's a bit of this it's an emotive subject because part of it is there's a lot of money revolving around endangered species for green groups now it is purely business for them that white pointers will make the money if they're endangered if they're not endangered, you can't get as much of the sympathy vote out of the community. So that's this is part of what it is that there's a fight going on at the moment because it looks like they're about to um, take take the great whites off the endangered list, which means green groups can't claim and carry on about it as much as they do. And the scientists, don't get me wrong, these scientists, there's lots of money around certain things, and the scientists fight and carry on about it. Now, OSEARCH tried to come out here last well, not last year, the year before, I think it was, to do free research on great whites. And you know what? They got stopped because we were paying our own guys at CSIRO or somewhere a few million bucks, and they banned the others from doing it. Like, it's just madness. So for me, look, I love sharks. I love having them around. We need to learn to live with them to a certain degree. Um, I'm not against drumlining. What I would suggest we do is we tag them, which is what we do mostly in New South Wales. So we tag. So those drum lines, they don't kill the fish up there. They've mainly been putting satellite tags in them up in northern New South Wales, which to me is is the key. But that's expensive. Now the interesting thing is, and you love this, all the greenies that say leave them alone and all that, don't put any money towards tagging ever. They don't support anything to do with the research. So, which always the question is then who, who's paying for it? Re- recreational fishermen, or is the government? And government, obviously, I couldn't imagine would want to be putting in, you know, millions of dollars to to tag sharks. Are they? Or correct me if I'm wrong. Yeah, yeah, no, no. So the government are paying for it at the moment. So they're putting the majority of the money in. The um, the recreationals pay a large part. So part of that license money from New South Wales funds the Game Fishing Association. So why why a wreck fish? What has a shark got to do with me going wreck fishing? Why am I paying for that? What, what what's the benefit to the wreck fisher? Ah, uh, because we like catching them for the. the oh, okay, yeah, okay, like sorry, yeah, yeah, but I mean, how so, many? But then again, also too. No, I, I totally agree with you. Don't get me wrong. I don't know anyone ever in the fishing industry that I've ever known, probably except yourself. Maybe a few of the guys that get out and know where to target them. I mean, what percentage of people would actually physically go after great white sharks as a species? Is it a bigger industry than than I thought? Well, no, Am they're not allowed. So at present, it's only just been recently that we're allowed to even target them. So oh, we're not go. even. Okay, yep. So we're not so because great whites are classed as endangered. You're not allowed to actually target them. So even when we were filming them up at Newcastle there on the beaches, the Marine Parks Authority 
sent us a letter saying you cannot um, run illegal shark feeding operations in our marine park. Like stuff like that. You just sit there going, what the hell? So it comes to ownership. They all want to own it. So with this change, if it becomes through, recreationals will be able to catch. Now, I don't think they should kill great whites. I think they should be only allowed to aid this, the research by tagging them and looking after them. Because, but if, know, if, look, if they did come off the endangered list, what what would be the issue with, say, you know, I mean, obviously, I don't know what reason. I mean, I, I don't know. They, do they, do they, I guess no one really knows because you said it's only just come in. Do they, do they taste good or not really? Or No, <laughs> I'm not sure. it's a purely sport. And it's a bit of the old age where it's the trophy stuff where, you know, they used to hang it up because it's a big fish. So for me, I don't agree with that. If you eat it, no problem. And I'm, they might be all right to eat. I honestly, I never, never killed one. So I couldn't say what they'd be it's like. Nothing wrong eat. heading down to the... Uh, you know, the fish and chip shop, getting a bit of flake or hake or whatever they call it these days and some nice beer batter, nothing wrong with that. Yeah, but that's always, <laughs> see, that's gummy shark and school shark as a job. Well, there's a few stingrays sold in there now and again and a few <laughs> reef sharks from up north in there, unfortunately, as well. But, yeah, and that look, it's an interesting one. There's no real answer for, for sharks. There's those that are for it and against it, and you've got this, you know, I think, like anything, we've got to learn to, because if you go to Africa, for example, and you get out of the game, car you know in the game park get out of the car and walk over to a bunch of lions and get ripped to pieces everyone will call you a complete moron why did you do that because we understand it in the water if you go in at dusk when the sharks are starting to patrol the beaches you know it's more at high risk time people are still suddenly go i can't believe you did it whilst others are going oh you know what's going on there so we need for me it's the more we are the better we understand it the better we can manage it but that's like saying also too we you know like like you're traveling through the act like people say oh well you'd be mad to you know travel through the act i mean there's ruse there morning and night i mean you you know you travel a lot you see ruse at at, at dusk and dawn there on the side of the roads feeding so i mean i just i just fail to see how the difference is why we just put this shark on the pedestal like you know a lot of people like deer you know we see a lot of people saying well well, don't hunt the deer they say you know we and you see them down in the ACT constantly when they're trying to do a cull down there. The greenies are getting involved. They want to go through areas where they're in a cull process, which is you know clearly sign marked. And I'm like, you're going to end up getting yourself shot if you end up doing stuff like this. Like people just don't seem to understand. But getting back to your Newcastle one, so when they obviously notified you and you said, well, they own it, and that goes back to my previous point of, you know, I mean, it gets obviously a little bit different, but wreck fishing license, the government does think they own my sport. They do think they own it and they could tell all the fish shows what it's got to be. Don't do this. Don't do that. We own the water. You don't have any part of it and you just pay your fees and, and be a good little boy. Well, that was Labor. That's Labor who are anti-fishing. So they got ousted after that. So they were booking people. This is how bad it got at Port Stephens there. They put the sanctuary zone around Little Beach Boat Ramp, which then and then they implied rules that you can't have any rigged rods on board above deck when you drive through their sanctuary zones. And you know what they did at Christmas? Book people going to the boat ramp. You can't get to the boat ramp. And if you're in a tinny, how do you put them below deck? You can't you can't store your rods below deck. See, that's ridiculous. That's ridiculous. Yeah. And that's like that's what labour were like, and that's what's created now. That's just insanity, anti-fishing to to appease the minority greens. And we've seen what's happened to the greens in in a federal level and a state level. People have realised the whole thing's a load of crap. That they're not there for the environment. They're there for you know every Tom, Dick, and Harry sort of other thing under the sun. So yeah, look, it's it's not the government. It's the bureaucracy and certain individuals that seem to want to own it. So the government as a, as a whole will do what we want because they want your vote. So we as a whole need to be stronger and say, this is what we want, which seems to be happening with fishing now as a general rule. It's got a lot better. Um, still not perfect, but it's yeah, it's definitely going the right way. Let's talk, let's uh, lighten the mood a bit. <laughs> let's get a bit of excitement. We've already, we hit the heavy stuff first on. I was going to hit that at the end. Um, <laughs> what, yeah. what, what do you like catching? What do you like? Saltwater, freshwater, and what's your favourite species to catch? Oh, look, I, do you know what? I just love fishing. I love catching big fish, though. Marlin and swordfish and tuna I absolutely love and big kings. But only last week we're up filming for the series with Fishing with Boats for Channel 9 and we're up fishing Copeton Dam up out of Inverell there. And we got a, the biggest cob we got went 109. I think part of the freshwater fishing I love is the country. You know, there's goats everywhere up there. There's deer, there's peak diggings. 
all around the lake. So that added a whole new element to me. You know, you're, you're fishing, but half the time I'm looking up the bank to see if I can spot a deer or something. So, yeah, look, if I'm fishing, I'm honestly happy. But, yeah, I love catching big fish. I know, so I've got a lot of guys, one guy at my work, he loves going into the harbour and he loves trying to catch kingfish and always tells me his story. He said, you know, he got busted off again and he uses, you know, heavy gear and he says, he reckons they know, the kingfish know to, they know exactly where to go to bust you off and uh, where he goes, you know, sometimes the jewfish, they're not, not as smart compared to the uh, the kingfish and uh, probably one of the hardest fighters. I haven't caught one yet. I'm dying to catch a kingfish. What do they like to catch? They are the best fun. I've jumped in a couple of times and watched them eat the bait. And they've just gone straight for the bottom. And you can see them trying to wrap it off. So they obviously can feel it. You know, it's not hurting them, but they can feel the pressure there. And they go down and actually rub it off on the bottom and try and, you know, smash you up there. They've got to be one of the most exciting fish to catch because it's just, you know, it's a short fight, but it's absolutely hardcore. It's, you know, it's, it's, it's sort of, you know, live or die in about three seconds with those little guys. But, yeah. <laughs> you wonder where they get their power from. They're, you know, they're really they're pulling power compared to Jewfish. You know, Jewfish will have a run, shake their head. You know, you, you generally pull them in and they generally, oh, they go belly, not belly up, but they just really give up and then you sort of pull them in, you know, if you can get them out into deeper water. But it seems the kingfish like to, they know where to rub you off and know where to hit you most and bust you off. Oh, yeah. Look, they're... they're, they're they're not a stupid fish, and I think that's part of the reason they're so popular, you know, that you can't win them all. You just, you've just got to – it's just such a hardcore mission that you're fighting with them just to win it, you know. So, that yeah, I love it. You know, I've lost more battles than I've won with some of the big ones, I'll tell you that. Favourite place to fish, whereabouts? Oh, the favourite – Number one, one in Australia. Let's go number one in Australia. Oh, number one in Australia. I would have to say – South Coast, New South Wales, because of striped marlin, bait bowling in the um, in the autumn, and then you've got in the winter the the, the bluefin, mm. the bluefin run out wide. I'd have to say that because <laughs> I love jumping in on it. But that's almost not catching them. That's just jumping in and seeing it, seeing it happen underwater. It's got to be one of the most exciting things. What about if you could about overseas, wherever you've been overseas, favourite place or the favourite place that you want to go fishing at? Two places I've been that I absolutely love, Papua New Guinea for black bass because it's still wild and untouched. And the second one is Ascension Island, which is down in the South Atlantic, where I got to swim with 100 kilo yellowfin, um, 700 miles offshore in this tiny little island. In insanity, like beyond ridiculous. Mm. <laughs> Excellent. I want to go back to a bit of the political part. We'll go back to a bit of hunting in a minute. A lot of stuff happening right now, I guess, in the industry about government forcing people to wear life jackets. I think it's a smart move. Um, to wear a life jacket to, you know, you don't want to go, you know, well, you don't want to go home dead because dead means you're never going home. Uh, you know, you've got loved ones that care about you that want to see you come home. Now, I agree with, you know, obviously wearing life jackets. So I support that. I don't support so much the government forcing me to do something because, again, it just creates more bureaucracy. What, what What's your thoughts on that? I think people should be encouraged. I think it should be education instead of legislation. What are your thoughts on that? Yeah, look, unfortunately, part of it is that a lot of the people doing it are, you know, they're falling in the water and stuff, which is costing us a fortune to go and look for them and try and save them. Um, I'm I'm 100% with you that, it, you know, you don't, you shouldn't have to do this, but it seems that, you know, there's people on the rocks that can't swim that are fishing in dangerous conditions, which to me is absurd. But they're doing it and then we're all copying it and having to go and find them and stuff like that. Um, yeah, I, I think if it saves a life and keeps a family happy, We'll have to grin and bear it. I think that would be the only way to look at that. You know, it's it's silly, but it's we, we seem to be constantly pandering to the the silliest minorities that do the dumbest things, mm. and the rest of us suffer a bit for it. I'd prefer not to wear a life jacket because I can. You know, I'm a good swimmer, but yeah, look, mm. unfortunately, not everyone. I, mean, I guess it. if they still fall in the water anyway, I mean, they're still going to cut. Even if they do have a life jacket, they get sucked out a bit. They can't, you know, get back into. You know, sure, which is, you know, especially when you wear a cumbersome life jacket at times, it can be difficult to try and swim. So in likelihood anyway, we're probably going to be sending the authorities out to retrieve them anyway. I guess the only difference is they'll be alive instead of dead. That's it. And you know what? At the end of the day, if they're alive, that's 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 a good thing. You know, that's what it should be. Excellent, mate. Let's talk a bit about some hunting. Uh, what do you enjoy? Do you do any hunting? And if so, favourite species? 
Oh, it'd have to be uh, pigs on the bow or deer on the rifle. I love my deer. I grew up doing the samba deer as, as a kid in Victoria. And, you know, it's something I've done all my life and I absolutely love it. And, yeah, I still go back probably, you know, three to four times a year chasing samba. But I love hunting pigs in the high country too. Mm. You know, they're just, they're such exciting, you know. Yeah, especially big boar on the bow where you have to shoot it at, you know, close range. It's unreal, especially if they've been in the crops because they actually taste pretty good despite what people think when they're, they're grain fed in a crop then. so. Uh, what about any non-hunting related activities, you know, pistol shooting, tar- rifle target shooting, clay target shooting, anything along those lines? Yeah, clay targets I've always liked. I, I wouldn't say I'm bloody good at it. I'm a bit up and down with it sometimes. So that's <laughs> probably the only other one. I, I'm so obsessed with fishing and hunting in the outdoors that it's just consuming these days, you know, just the whole time all I want to do is be outdoors. And the funny thing is, for a lot of it now, I don't care if I don't shoot anything. Like I snuck up, a little samba came up to us last time we are down hunting and walked up to us. You know, you probably could have tasted quite nice, to be straight honest with you. I just saw it and he's wandered around for two with me for five minutes and walked off and that made the whole trip. So, yeah, it's exciting when it's like that. Tell us about, I guess, where people can... Uh you know, see you, you know, if they're on you know, TV, what's coming up for you, where can they see you, uh, whether it be at shows, TV, radio, tell us about all that stuff. Well, we've got a fair bit coming up. We've got the Sydney Boat Show, which I'm doing talks at. That's uh, in a couple of weeks. We've got Fishing With Mates on Channel 9, which will start again in November. And then we've got Daily Telegraph, all the fishing magazines, and, of course, social media, which is so important, you know, Instagram and Facebook as well. So it seems to be a million different avenues these days. I want one, uh, some interesting story. My listeners always love a story to finish off. So something, just yeah. a few minutes, something that you know, resonates with you, stands out in your mind uh, as maybe a great day in the life of Al McLash and share a story with us. Oh, look, probably a great story for me would be if it's a hunting one, the other day was taking my kids out and then both getting their first deer on the same day. That to me was, and it was something that for me was so exciting when I was young. And now to have my kids do it and be there, be a part of it was absolutely, un, yeah, it's probably one of those amazing things that you just sit there going, how good is this? <laughs> All right, mate. What we're going to need from that is those GPS coordinates, mate, that exact location. <laughs> <laughs> Victoria. Victoria was for that one. Oh, that's not exact GPS locations. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> no, I reckon so. Uh, mate, to finish off, any uh, final advice you'd like to, you know, spread? You know, uh, I guess this is, you know, your time to, you know, talk about, you know, your show. Obviously, you just spoke where to see it. Just anything you want to add about that? No, just to, I suppose for me, it's the big thing for my passion is to get everyone outdoors and get everyone enjoying it and appreciating it so that's that's just the big thing and i do that through all my fishing and and hunting and everything is to promote it as a positive for everyone to get out there and do it yeah, i reckon and they... and that's, that's my biggest drive behind everything i do is to get everyone out there doing it absolutely and yeah i'm just looking at your your facebook page now you've got quite a few on there 132,000, so they can they can check you out on facebook where else can they find you other than facebook uh instagram so that's just al mcglashan and yeah, and then obviously all the magazines and you know, the Sydney, um, the Daily Telegraph and stuff like that, and obviously TV shows. We're on in the US, so fishing with mates is in the US and everything as well. So, yeah, so yeah, so everywhere and anywhere, I reckon. Yeah, and I'm just looking at your uh post as well, just here on now. You posted five hours ago about you know the coral sea and the, the fishing under Labor and the Turnbull government and how Labor's not so good. I guess Tony Burke's probably still out there spending a lot of our money because that seems to be what he's good at spending taxpayer money. He's he's been the spotlight quite a number of times. Uh, you know, spending taxpayer money on things that you know they 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 say might not be exactly what we should be paying for. But anyway, yeah. Look, I think that you know my whole thing is about education and and teaching people to enjoy it. And you know what? People will do the right thing. In 90% or 99.9% of us all want to look after the environment. We don't do it by locking everyone out. We do it by teaching them how to enjoy it because at the end of the day, the population's going up and we can't stop that. So we need to look after what we've got and teach people how to do it. And these guys that sit in their inner city 
you know, housing, using up all the heating and all our natural resources and telling all of us that go outdoors that you can't go and get your own meat, that you can't, you know, catch a fish for dinner, who never actually do it, don't have an opinion as far as I'm concerned because they're using up more resources than we are to make themselves feel better by not, you know, pretending that they're, they're doing less. Because you know what? They live in the most changed environment on earth. Absolutely. All right, mate. Well, Al McGlashan joins me here on the Australian Hunting Podcast to talk about fishing, hunting, the bit of politics of fishing as well, and where we're at in the industry. So, Al, mate, I really appreciate your time. Thanks, and I'm glad you agreed to come on and uh, share your expertise and knowledge with uh, myself and my listeners. So thanks very much, and uh, hope to catch you around soon. You might be able to take me on a, on a uh, kingfish uh, fish one day and uh, fulfill that dream of mine. I reckon that's a definite. We'll get you out there and get you under a kingy. Sort that one out, and that'll be podcast part two. You've been listening to an episode of the Australian Hunting Podcast. I hope you enjoyed it. See you next time.